You're listening to the Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Cypress Creek Church. I think we're in an interesting time where even Christianity is being redefined and beliefs that everybody would have said 30 years ago, well, if you're a Christian, you believe that. Now that's in question. And so understanding what the Bible says on a concept or an issue and holding true to that and lovingly accepting where other people are, that's the key to standing firm. Welcome to the Conversations Podcast. I'm Taylor. We have a special Father's Day message, and we're sitting down with two special guests and friends. First, we have Lead Pastor Jose Avaro with us. Hey, Jose, thanks morning. for being here. Good to be here. And we have Dr. Sean Stover in the house. Sean, it's been a while. It's good to have you back. It has been a while. I missed you guys. Glad to be here. Well, you gave a great message on Sunday, yes, and there's a lot that we're going to be able to unpack. So I'm excited for that for this episode. But first, want to get your thoughts as you prepared for the message. Kind of, it was an open Sunday in many ways. So, so what led you to the passage that you picked, and then even as you began to pull away, kind of these seven principles we're going to get into. It's interesting when you get to talk on a day that actually has another significant meaning in our culture. So you got to decide, you know, how, how much do I want to play into the fact that it's Father's Day versus, you know, over half the people out there aren't going to be dads um, for sure. And so it's like trying to find that balance. And uh, Jose and I talked a little bit. I'm passionate right now about the idea of us being the healthiest version of ourselves that we could be no matter what. I think that's the best way to show up in relationships for people you care about, for the Lord, to serve Him wholeheartedly. And uh, this passage in Philippians always does that for me. It always takes me back to some key principles that I need to be putting in place to be the healthiest version of myself. And then the more I thought about it, you know, the reality is this is what it looks like to be the healthiest dad you can be. This is what it looks like to lead in a culture that a dad really needs to stand in the gap and, and be different than other folks uh, and be an example. So all of it, you know, thankfully, the way the Lord does it through the, the power of the Spirit just all came together. And I love... I love this passage. I love I love the thought of Paul being kind of an advice-giving, father-loving, you know, sometimes he's admonishing, sometimes he's supporting, sometimes he's encouraging. And uh, you get that in his letters at some point, real practical things that we can apply in our lives. And I think you get that in this Philippians 4. Yeah, and when I watched it, Sean, one thing that I loved is how you said, this is countercultural. So this is not normally how we would act, and, and this is why it's so important. So not only for dads as the leaders of the home to, to lead, but also for all of us, whatever it looks like to be, uh, whatever our season of life looks like, these seven principles will be shocking to our culture, especially now. Yeah. Before we jump into Philippians 4, you kind of, as part of your intro, shared earlier in the book about uh, just this concept of our citizenship and where it lies, uh, not here on earth, not on a particular country, but ultimately in heaven. So I'd love for you maybe just to expound on that a little bit as far as the significance before we dive in. And then just asking both of y'all, how do you remind yourself of that? Because that's a truth. Like when you said it, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Like I, I know that if you've spent some time in the church, you've heard that before. And yet, if you're like me, you just don't think about it as often. But so essential. So I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on how you keep that at the forefront. We're talking about being countercultural. I think that's what's important is to realize that we have a culture that we're supposed to be yeah. pursuing, and that's the kingdom of God. I'm thankful I got to speak on Father's Day and not on July 4th, because it would be an even more <laughs> challenging <laughs> message on that day, yeah. right? Because our culture, we're proud. You know, a lot right. of us are proud to be Americans. Right. We're proud to be from the United States, yep. and we're proud of our heritage and our history. 
and our government and, and the form of government we have. And, you know, there's lots of things we're frustrated about, too. But there's a lot of pride in, in our nationality, our nation. And, uh, man, that can get in the way if we're not careful uh, and can, can compete with this idea that we're also, more importantly, citizens of a bigger kingdom. And that's where this culture, we can get so swept up in what's going on in America or going on around us or our country uh, that we lose sight of the fact that, yeah, but on a spiritual level, we have to hold on to this principle that we're citizens of something much bigger that's going to last for eternity, mm-hmm. not just for our earthly lifetime. Yeah, and you asked, Taylor, how, how do you remind yourself yeah. of, of that? Uh, one thing for me that's helped me is I, I have traveled to a lot of different culture cultures, nations, and any time that I go to a church, there's a similar culture. There's a similar culture of, of loving God. There's a similar culture of wanting to love one another, this grace that is received and then replicated as we uh, care for one another. It's really beautiful when you sense that spirit. It's hard to put it into words. You just know that it's there. And, and then for, for those of us that haven't been able to travel as much, we've had the privilege at Cyprus to have folks come in from other countries, pastors and leaders that we partner with, uh, our local and global ministry partners that are able to be uh, with us, share a message. We'll have another opportunity, hopefully in the fall, to hear from an African brother, pastor, come and, and, and preach. And, and so those things remind us that our family knows no time, knows no culture. Kingdom of God was, is, and, and will continue to be. So um, it's more powerful than any allegiance to any one nation. That's so true. Playing on that example of Jose traveling so much, like right now, if Taylor and I wanted to travel internationally, we could because we have passports that are, you know, active and ready to go. Jose. That's right. That's right. His passport expire. Yep. Just an aside. That's true. What I would say. Thankfully, in the kingdom of God, we have a passport that does not expire. That's correct. Yeah, but you can't see other cultures. <laughs> I guess you can you can watch a YouTube video or okay, something of other let's, cultures. Let's move on. So there, there's moving, that as well. Oh, moving boy. on here. Uh, let's, let's talk about the first verse here, Philippians 4, verse 1, uh, where Paul is encouraging uh, just the brothers and sisters in Christ to stand firm. And even a lot of these, uh, the next six kind of even just play into this concept of standing firm. I don't think we need to expound much on the fact that uh, in order to not get swept by the culture. That's just a, a pivotal yeah. first step uh, to start there. Uh, I, you know, we could we could dive into so many practical steps of what this looks like, but what is even the significance as a church to be a church that stands firm? Because we can talk about this individually, and Sean, you did a great job with each one of these asking, okay, one to 10, how are we doing in this area? Uh, but even just as a church and as even inside of that community groups and just smaller communities, what's so significant about just that in the, in the broader context of, of staying firm? I think we're in an interesting time where even Christianity uh, is being redefined and in, in, in beliefs that everybody would have said, you know, 30 years ago, well, if you're a Christian, you believe that. Now that's in question. And so uh, understanding what the Bible says on a concept or an issue and, and holding true to that and lovingly accepting where other people are uh, and yet not swaying from where God wants you to be, that's the key to standing firm. And I think that's what's countercultural, because I think in, in our in our culture, we either cave into whatever the, the most amount of people say a definition of something is, yeah. 
or we get so far on the other end that we're adamant that, no, y'all are dead wrong. We are absolutely right, and we don't want to have anything to do with you. And standing firm looks like having this confidence that, look, I, I know the truth in this, but I also know I can love you where That's you right. are until I can help un you understand what the truth yeah, is. Yeah, we, we just went to the beach um, with the kids. And every year we go to the beach is fun because our kids are small, and so they— um, you know, they, they grow and they do new things. So the new thing this this year was boogie boarding. And um, so first thing that I did was try to teach the kids, hey, this is how you boogie board. Well, Samuel's four. He's got it down. He doesn't need my help. Uh, so dad, I don't need your help. And he did a pretty good job riding the waves. Anyway, so I thought I'll just go ahead and sit down on the on the edge, you know, the waves and, and just watch. Well, it didn't take long for those waves to start knocking me sideways. And um, so I just, you know, Put my fist down, and and they were kind of my anchor as as, uh, as I dug into the sand, and I was able to stand there for a few minutes, maybe until you know. Then I got swept swept away. Anyway, it made me think of this question that and this concept of standing firm. If we're not anchored in something, our culture right now is wave after wave after wave after wave. And if we're not anchored in the gospel and who Jesus is and who he says we are, then it is only a matter of time. If we're not anchored in community group, if we're not anchored with like-minded believers, uh, if we're not coming to church every Sunday, I mean, it, it, it only takes a little bit for the waves to come ideas start spurring in our hearts and we have this sinful nature and the enemy that, that, that is coming to kill, steal, and destroy. Uh, so we really need to be anchored and in, in standing firm. I think that first point was so powerful uh, because it, it was it, it, it's like it sets everything else in motion to happen. Without mm -hmm. that firmness, without anchoring in who God is and who he says that we are, it's really hard to do the others. Mm -hmm. I love the where you went with that analogy too of the of the water and the waves. Uh, you were off the coast of Texas. We were in, uh, in Mexico a couple weeks ago. And, I can't go there right now because uh, you don't have a passport, so you can't go, but it's, no. a, it's a country just south of uh, Texas. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard of it. We were there, and and the waves were, are, were just bigger there. And so, actually, the lifeguard, he wouldn't let people go past, like, ankle deep. If oh, you wow. went past that, you know, he would blow the whistle and, and admonish you to come back. And I think for us, it, it again, extending your, your metaphor a little bit, there are times when, you know, we need to anchor ourselves in church and in our community groups before we wade into these conversations. There's sometimes Jesus is like, hey, let's let's get on the same page first yeah. before y'all go out and try to confront whatever the craziness is that's out there. Because um, sometimes we take off before we're ready and before yeah. we're mature enough or prepared for those conversations. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Okay, so verse four dives into the second point here, which is on rejoicing. And uh, and he says, I say it again, rejoice the second time repeating. Uh, and community group last night, we had a really good conversation, kind of camped out in this concept of uh, joy versus happiness and just finding joy despite the circumstances. Also, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on just why this was included in here. So we're talking about standing firm. We're talking about being countercultural cultural, and Paul throws this in there, like right at the very beginning. And so what is the significance of this? Because we've, we've talked about joy in the past before and in different contexts, but I would just love to hear y'all's thoughts on why it was included in this list, you think? I think just now we were talking about standing firm and the culture and the waves, and you know, you start getting riled up. 
and you start thinking like, oh man, they're coming at, we got to hit them harder. We got to hit these ideas harder. We got to get, you know, our, our Bibles out and, and we got to be well-read and well-prepared and all this stuff. And so it's really cool that Paul here says, hey, rejoice. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Mm-hmm. So don't forget the joy that, that God uh, has in knowing you, the joy that we have because we know God and our confidence is in heaven, not, not in the things of earth. Mm-hmm. So it, that's counter, you know, yeah. cultural. I think he goes into this list too, to your point there, Jose, trying to help the Philippians understand, look, you're in a culture, not unlike what we were in. You're in a culture that's strong nationalism, Roman colony, and uh, you have to do things different to get people's attention. Well, being joy-filled looks different in our culture today. Most people are moping around or exhausted or frantic or frustrated. Man, being joy-filled looks really countercultural. And I think Paul's hitting him right from the start. He's like, if you want to get people's attention, yeah, fill yourself with the joy of the Lord and let that leak out and watch how attractive that is to people around you. More than any argument you might give or any dissertation on how they should change their lives or do things different, let your life be an example filled with joy. People are drawn to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And I don't want to miss, I did bring up as an example in the sermon that Taylor is an example of a man filled yes, with is. joy. Yes, you really is. are. I appreciate right? it. I that's really right. do appreciate it. It's still convicting though, just that concept of having joy despite circumstances going well, because Sundays Sundays are fun. Sundays are fun being around everybody, but, um, but just getting to that point where despite what happens and especially things outside of my control to still maintain yeah. that joy and have that hope that comes with the, the joy in that. James chapter one, consider it all joy when you, you know, go through it's trials. trials. Yeah. And so it's yeah. hard. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy. I will point out, cause I'd, I'd said this in the sermon and you said your community group, the difference between happiness and joy. Um, I think people miss the fact that, that God really wants us to be happy too. He doesn't want us to be yeah. unhappy. Now we're going to go through hard things and we're going to be sad sometimes, but uh, I'm pretty sure it was Randy Alcorn who's written a lot of really good books, um, kind of making theology, boiling it down and making it practical. But he wrote something on happiness, uh, a book around that concept that God wants us to be happy. So I don't want us to get so much into the difference between the two that we're like, now he wants you to be joyful, but happy. He's not really, he didn't really care about that. He said this, that happiness is temporary and and joy is is more, you know, sustainable. Yeah, circumstances dictate happiness a lot of times, whereas joy is more of a consistent state. Constant state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's really good. Uh, And even just, we'll jump into this uh, towards the end about just what we think about and kind of taking those captive, but just that concept that you said confirmation bias, I thought was such a cool, Aside in the way in which you said that, like, yeah, if you're if you're waking up thinking about all the terrible things that are <laughs> going to go wrong today, it's like you're going to look for those and find those. So just even with joy too, just that that mindset and mentality is is so good. Yeah. The next verse highlights gentleness, and I love how you even pulled out different versions, kind of have different words they sub in for gentleness. But uh, all in all, I'd love to hear both of y'all's thoughts on just what does that actually look like in a day to day? Like, how do you know if you're being, you know, you're not being gentle as you should, or you're being too too gentle. I mean, like, what? How do you? I don't know. I just I, that's, that's such a broad term in some ways, and I know it's intentionally meant to be that. But just how do y'all navigate gentleness in your own lives, and just even uh, cultivate that on a regular basis? I think one of the best things to do is think of an example of that in your life. Like, think of a person that you would consider gentle. 
And uh, what is it about them that's attractive? What what is it about them that makes you drawn to them? What what does it do when you're around them to to you? Because it is an interesting quality, and it's something that you're like. Really, that I mean, especially as a man, we're talking about Father's Day. We're talking about manning up and you know leading your family and being strong. And this idea of gentleness, uh, kind of Paul inserts it, and it's like, well, what's that about? And again, I think he's hammering this idea that they need to look different than the the culture. They're they're citizens of a different kingdom, and uh, man, being bold and chopping people's ears off, and you know doing stuff like Peter proclaiming, "I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you," and then turning around Absolutely. and doing it, yeah. uh, is not what our culture needs. It needs we need people that are willing to kind of be patient, be diplomatic. You know, be statesmen, listen to both sides of a, of a situation or, or an argument. And uh, with gentleness, man, just have a gentle response uh, as everything else escalates. I mean, I've always been drawn to this. I've been in some really cool rooms with some powerful people and boardrooms and smart folks. And uh, I'm always drawn to the calmest person in the room. I just am. Like, you know, it's like at some point, you know, you're going to hear something from them and you're kind of just waiting to see. And that calm person will draw. There's there's the other people get your attention, but you're ultimately drawn to the person with the gentleness. Well, that's that's you in my life, Sean. I think of you when I think of gentleness. Um, in the Strong's uh, Dictionary, other words are moderate, fair, uh, reasonable, and I like this one, yielding. To your point, they let other people talk. You, you do that really, really well, where you just enter into a conversation or a place and, and you yield well, even though sometimes you're the smartest person in the room. Um, so I have learned a lot from you. And I think that this is a quality that we all need, especially as men and especially if, if you're a leader in any sort of organization, because that's countercultural. Goes into servant leadership. Jesus was king, and yet he didn't come to be served, but to serve. He was gentle. Um, he wasn't gentle with the people who thought they didn't need him, the right. religious, right? Yeah. So that's the one caveat. But besides that, he was gentle with sinners. He was gentle with those that didn't, you know, I'm having quotation marks, deserve his grace or love. And um, so you do that. Yeah, you do that really well. Thanks. Yeah, that's good. And that's a great tie-in to the next three that all come from the popular verse, uh, Philippians 4, 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So we've got, uh, do not worry, pray always, and express gratitude here for the fourth, fifth, and sixth principle. Kind of want to pull from my similar question I asked uh, earlier about, about gratitude uh, or about joy, but just it's a popular verse. I've heard it before, but just even this Sunday, hearing it in the context of staying firm, in the context of, of standing or, or living counterculturally, uh, why do y'all think this got fit in here as far as just these three concepts? Because again, there's whole messages that we've given and could give yeah. about just this verse alone and the significance, especially in our culture nowadays. But but why is it so important that you think Paul kind of puts it in here in this, in this uh, passage? Yeah, prayer is countercultural. You're literally praying um, in faith. You don't hear anything back necessarily. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we we, we hear uh, God in different ways. But oftentimes we're just saying, "Lord, we, we need you. We need help." And uh, that doesn't 
you know, that doesn't equate with our fix-it mentality or um, I got this independent uh, culture. And so it is countercultural and so important for us to recognize. I like the part that says with Thanksgiving, because you're not only asking, you're also recognizing, wow, God, thank you for coming through for me. Thank you for changing the way that I think. Thank you for giving me another chance, for forgiving me of my sins. I mean, when you pray with that, you're, you're, you know, the, the, you've already received something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if he gives you more, then, then that's just an extra. And I also, think when we pray, we're giving God a chance to show off. So we're acknowledging that he can provide something that we cannot do. Um, and he loves that. He loves, you know, he, he wants to be glorified. Um, and, and so praying allows us to be aware of the way that God provides in, in so mm-hmm. many different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think all that is actually spot on. And it, it was just considering the thought that, you know, worry is is very self-centered. It's about me. Uh, prayer is very God-centered. It's about what I hope for and trust I'm going to get from Him. And Thanksgiving is kind of other-centered. It's like being grateful for what's going on around me on circumstances and people. And I think that there's some switch that needs to happen there where we get out of ourselves and get into the Lord and the gratitude we have for people around us. I had just become a Christian 1991-ish, 92, and uh, uh, Chuck Swindoll, I don't know if you guys have heard him teach, but he had this kind of iconic kind of voice. He did this radio program called Insight for Living, and then he came to be president of Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, now he has a, still has a big church up yeah. in uh, Frisco, Stonebriar up there, thousands of members. But he he came and spoke at the church I was at, and he was talking about this passage, and he, he, and he repeated over and over, I cannot do his iconic voice, but he said, worry about nothing, pray about everything. And he said it over and over. And uh, I was like, man, repetition, what is he doing? Well, 30 years later, I remember exactly what he said. So obviously, but there's something to that. God's like, hey, hand this to me. Let me take it. That's very countercultural. We like to hold on to stuff. Yeah, that's so good. And I think about just even a few weeks ago, we talked about just witnessing or just even these gifts from heaven on earth and just how um, just acknowledging God's role in our lives takes the pressure off. Like it's it's not on us. And right. so I think of that in a similar way, like y'all both shared as far as prayer is just acknowledging that this is not up to us. And so it's really just putting it in his hands. So Sean, I thought you did a great job uh, expounding on that on Sunday. We got one last one here, verse eight, talking about if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This concept of looking and thinking positively. And you did a great job explaining this, but I'd love to kind of just jump into just for the practical sense of how do y'all do this? How do you monitor? I feel like both of y'all do a great job just knowing y'all personally as far as even taking inventory of of what you're consuming because I think a lot of that mm-hmm. comes down to what we're seeing around us and dictates what we think. But but how do y'all do that just on a practical basis, whether it's people, whether it's things you read, watch, all that kind of stuff, and just overall the, the significance of this as the final of the seven principles? That idea of you know being careful what we do consume and do take in is really important in in this area. I, I also have to just acknowledge, man, I I have a dad who models this and always has, which was really cool for me. I mean, I I got a call from him, and he said, "Hey, 
We're in the car. I'm talking to you because I don't want you to be scared. But mom is taking me uh, to the to the to the hospital, and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm having a heart attack. But man, I am thankful that the highway is clear, and I think we're going to make it, and no no problem. That's literally what he told me, and that's how he lives his life. He's like he finds the joy and the positivity in any situation, and. Uh, you got. I, th- I think as much as any of these, you need a model of this in your life because there are so many people. If we're not careful, you surround yourself with a bunch of people that are, you know, negative and finding fault and looking for the. But if you put one person in your life that you're like, all right, I got this guy, and he he's going to model positivity and he's going to find the find the good spot in something, then it's worth having. Yeah, I mean, I think that. There's so many positive things out there. You just got to focus on those things and um, you hit the nail on the head, which is how do we do this? We recognize that our culture will not do this. Our culture runs on a Monday to Friday um, news cycle that wants to instill fear and worry and all of the opposite, you know, aggressiveness, all of the uh, opposite of these seven principles. So the fact that God gives us another way and and he's he's also given us our, our minds. He's saying, think, think about those things. Don't think about the other things. Put your mind, uh, focus your mind on these things and then watch your mind be transformed. Watch your mind change. Um, and I think we could all be those people for for the people around us, those people that look at uh, what is pure and excellent and praiseworthy and, uh, and, and watch God use you in a powerful way. Yeah, I think if you listen to these podcasts and you listen to the sermons, you'll understand that uh, it, we're going to get back to this at some point because I know mental health is a big deal in our culture right now. And this passage of, of scripture is really a, a pretty cool mental health play. I mean, how do you deal with the worry? How do you deal with ruminating thoughts that are negative? You know, how do you deal with all the pressure and anxiety and sadness that's going on in life? Man, Paul speaks to all of those in these principles. And I think that if we use them, we have a real chance to be examples that others can follow. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Conversations podcast. If you have any questions that you want us to answer on the podcast, you can email us conversations at cypresscreekchurch.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. Thanks for being here again, everybody. It was awesome. That's it for this version of the podcast. We will see you guys next time.